Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate this this is joe cole this is ruben off the cheek and you're listening to the london London is blue podcast All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host, Brandon, join my co-host, Nick. No Dan, unfortunately, he's just not feeling well out there. So if you're on Discord, uh, shoot a message. If you're on Twitter, uh, shoot a message and and let him know you hope that it's just a little blip and he's back for the big FA Cup final weekend slash Champions League final weekend because we love the Chelsea women as well. Don't forget how big of a weekend it is for Chelsea, but... Uh, not to get too far off topic, Nick, we've got our Matt Loss special here. Uh, it's going to be a fun one, bringing Matt in to talk about uh, all of the cup finals that I just talked about uh, coming up for Chelsea. Uh, we can even do a little transfer market speculation and touch on Emma and Roman. It's uh, I'm looking forward to getting Matt's take on this stuff. Yeah, it's as fast and furious as a time as we've seen in a long time at Chelsea, so I, I am too excited to get Matt, Matt's perspective on all of the happenings but yeah it's uh you know like we said you know this this season is is hitting a crescendo let's hope that the uh the team play the right notes on the way out yeah how's it going Matt yeah good good like I said to you off air I, I thought this was going to be a really joyous podcast where we were just talking about all positives and everything and we all came crashing back down to earth a little bit last night at the Arsenal game but uh but hey ho still lots to look forward to for Chelsea fans uh, absolutely. I mean, it, we're recording on Thursday, all right, ahead of two cup finals for the club. Uh, unbelievably exciting times. Uh, the general census last night in the pod, Matt, was is a blip. We beat ourselves. Uh, it should not affect the preparations for the match at the weekend uh, at Wembley. And, and I think that's still probably accurate. Um, but not only that, we'll, we'll got to talk about Tuchel. And, and what he's done uh, for Chelsea in a short amount of time he's been here, what it would mean for him personally uh, to win these finals. We'll talk about some of the early news on the summer market, like I said, and then obviously Emma's relationship with Roman, who received a phone call from the owner after this weekend's WSL title win. So uh, first one we're going to jump into is the Tuchel final part. UEFA just confirmed that the Champions League final will be in Porto, not Istanbul. Matt, thoughts on England missing out? Uh, is it all politics? Is it safety-minded first? And what has the fan reaction been? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not that surprised. Um, it's it's mainly safety. I think politics-wise, 
the government over here wanted the the Champions League final over here. They'd have seen it as a big win for them because it would have been another indication that the vaccination system's going well. The government have jumped onto football after the Super League stuff a little bit. They see it as a votes winner. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, government-wise, they'd have, they'd have really liked it. But they weren't willing to make the allowances for the VIPs and the various execs that come in with UEFA to have to skip uh, various points of quarantine and things like that, which is probably the right decision. Look, it's, it's probably the sensible decision. Um, so, yeah, so it's off to Porto instead. So... I think the reaction hasn't been great just because I, I I gather that the pricing for Porto isn't isn't very good, as you can imagine. You know, we're only two weeks or so out from the Champions League final and all the flight prices have been going up, the hotel prices have been going up. Same old story, really. Um, you hear it a lot with Champions League and European finals that the, the prices jump up. So from that point of view, I feel for the fans... But it's better. I think it's better. Look, it's better than it's easier for people to get to. It's easier for people to be around than Istanbul. So, while there may be a disappointment among fans, it's not Wembley. Porto is is still better for the fans than Istanbul for sure. Well, I mean, it's. I mean, Istanbul's going through an absurd COVID spike right now, right? So, like, health and safety wise, it seemed logical with the Euros coming up and the quarantine periods right after the Champions League final that they would have to move it. It just kind of feels like UEFA never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity, you know? Like, it's just, you have this momentum post-Super League, and you could be the for the fans, uh, at least for one game of, of your lives, uh, for the fans group. And, like, why why they needed a thousand execs to be at this thing in, in a pandemic is just, the stu- like, to me, a stupid reason to not put it in the most convenient place that you could um, maybe leverage your, your goodwill a little bit after, after super league. So I don't know, just this to me, Matt kind of seems silly, but um, certainly understand if, if the government is like, look, you can't have a thousand people coming with you in your entourage who aren't vaccinated, who aren't going to quarantine. So it's the right health and safety move after everything we've been through. Yeah, and the only thing I would say is I don't want to particularly defend UEFA because I have a lot of grievances with UEFA. <laughs> and I, I don't disagree with a lot of what you say. My, my only little point would, would be, though, I think UEFA would argue that, you know, the Super League wasn't their fault. They shouldn't have to be necessarily making allowances because of the Super League, because some some clubs tried to break away from, from UEFA and the Premier League. So, and in actual fact the Super League might not have helped UEFA's thinking a little bit because UEFA might just think, do you know what, this is our competition. This is our European competition. We're going to do what we want with it and not bend to everyone else, especially given what we've had over the last few weeks with people trying to quit our competition. But I, I agree. I'm not, I'm not trying to argue that Wembley wouldn't have been the better choice. And I think we all have our issues with UEFA. And the first annual Super League final between Chelsea and Manchester <laughs> City being hosted in Porto. I'm sure they don't want that to be the talking point, but I think that is well gone to bed. Um, uh, Matt, I mean, the fact that Chelsea are in the Champions League final, wild season, uh, didn't have the easiest path, are playing Man City, have now beat them twice under Tuchel. Um, Dan, specifically, is going back and trying to see all of the t- things that happened in 2012 that have happened this season, including apparently us losing at home to Arsenal 10 years ago. 
Um, it, it's it's just it's it's crazy to think how the season has gone, the ups and downs, the roller coaster. You know, uh, from Frank's unbeaten run to unable to win to being sacked to Tuchel coming in and 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 everything like that. And here we are. It, it's been an absolute wild ride this season. It's insane. I mean, we're talking today with four four games to go, two in the Premier League, FA Cup final, Champions League final. Chelsea could literally still finish with nothing or everything, you know. It, it, <laughs> it's it, so true. It, you know, the, the next four games are going to be so crazy because if you win, you know, if you get top four and you win the FA Cup and you win the Champions League, I would argue that would represent the best season in Chelsea's history. Now, I'm sure fans of Chelsea who look at it more emotionally than me can come up with reasons why it wouldn't be the best season in Chelsea's history and there are reasons why some of the successes mean more or are, have greater significance. But if you look at it just on pure stats, in the modern day, 2012 probably rates as Chelsea's finest season. And yet they finished sixth, I think it was, didn't they, in the end? They finished yeah, sixth. Yeah, Pitt and Tottenham. Yeah. So... <laughs> If you finish fourth and win the or fourth or third and win the FA Cup and the Champions League, then in terms of statistics, it's probably the best ever season. And yet you could still finish with nothing, which, you know, I hope for you guys that doesn't happen. Because if that were to happen, right now with four games to go, it would feel like an absolute disaster. And all the good work of the last few months would sort of be undone over the course of four games. I've I've never in my years covering any club, I mean I've covered Back in the day, I used to cover Arsenal closely. I've covered Tottenham closely, as you know. I covered, I've covered Chelsea for the past sort of nine years very closely. And I've never known a, a, a club to have their season on the brink of sort of greatness or, or nothingness quite like this. It's amazing. And, you know, you still might get a halfway house as well. It might, it's not all or nothing, but it could be. Very two very big extremes, Nick. I think is 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 Matt's point, right? With with a comfortable place in the middle. Well, hey, thanks. I wasn't panicked or anything <laughs> before this, so you know, um, yeah, it is it is absolutely crazy. I mean, if if you beat Arsenal or you beat West Brom or you win any of the winnable games early in the season, maybe you don't draw twice with Southampton uh, in ridiculous fashion. Like you're probably set for top four at this point, and have a little less to worry about on that front and can maybe focus on the finals. But yeah, I mean, it's, we were, we were talking about this on the pod uh, yesterday, every bad loss, especially at home that you have puts more pressure on the subsequent games to, to get over the line. And so now Chelsea have two big games uh, in the league to get over the line and, and to secure champions league, uh, which seemed almost inevitable after beating city at the weekend. So, I mean, that's how quick it turns. It's like a half week later and we're, we're back in the same kind of, oop, uh, maybe that. Uh. All right, Chelsea fans. Well, we're going to take a quick break, uh, but we come back. Don't worry so much more on this. Uh, absolutely crazy how this season is coming all the way to the end. Make a break. Uh, thanks to the sponsor for financially supporting the show. And we'll be right back. Uh, so very excited about these last four. Uh, the last time that we talked, Chelsea were yet to play Madrid, uh, and, and Tuchel managed to handily uh, beat them over two legs uh, to advance to the final versus City. There's also the matter of the FA Cup final this weekend. This is more about the board. So how happy are the board at the moment, and are there talks of a potential extension for Thomas Tuchel given the incredible run that Chelsea have been on to this point? It's what I always say to you with the board. They've been here before. 
And it doesn't need me to say to the board, this could be all or nothing. And the board know that. The board are not stupid. And they don't need to rush into anything with Thomas. You know, there's no... You know, when they did um, Antonio Conte's new contract that summer, he had been angling to leave. Inter Milan had shown an interest in him all all those years back then. He had switched his phone off over the, the summer when he fell out with them all. There were problems. They had to do something to sort of rectify that relationship just to get into the new season. They had to do something. Mourinho, similar when he won last, last won the title, they were a bit worried that Mourinho, that Real Madrid have always loved, stayed in love with Mourinho. And back then, again, he was hot stuff. And there was always the, the slight fear that Madrid could come and make a play for Mourinho. Again, they did his contract. Both times I actually blew up in their faces. Both times I ended up sacking the managers. You know, Conte, Casey went through the whole season. Mourinho, he, he got to the sort of December I'm not saying that's going to happen with Tuchel, but the board are pragmatic. And to, let, let's let's face, let's look at it really pragmatically. Real Madrid are not an attractive club anymore. They might change a manager. Barcelona are not that attractive at the moment. They they might change a manager, but Tuchel's not going to hold Chelsea over over a gun, trying to tell them he could go to Barcelona or Real Madrid. Tuchel's made it very clear he's very relaxed and happy. I know for sure he's not pushing on his side of the contract. Do I think it will get done extended in the summer? Probably, although it might spill into the start of next season. Do I think they're rushing to do it now? No, absolutely not. There's too many games. There's too much riding on it. It would be, imagine if they went and did his contract and agreed it in the next two weeks and Chelsea did end up finishing fifth, lose an FA Cup final and lose a Champions League final. It would just be weird. That's not to say he wouldn't deserve it because his work, you could make a massive argument that his work deserves the extension no matter what happens with these games. But there's no need. There's no one trying to take him away from Chelsea. He's not trying to angle to go away from Chelsea. It's a completely different situation to when they sort of got bullied into this with Mourinho and Conte. And the fact they got bullied into it in those two circumstances and it went wrong makes them even more pragmatic. Yeah, that is interesting. Um Given that the average tenure of a Chelsea manager is around 18 months uh, over the last decade or so, it would seem pragmatic, as you said, to not go with a massive extension uh, given the previous uh, bits and bobs that have happened with some high-profile managers. If you also think as well, they, they haven't lived through a transfer window with Thomas Tuchel yet. And and Chelsea Chelsea staff always used to tell me that Antonio Conte was that one of the nicest guys to deal with, apart from in the summer and in January, when he became one of the hardest people in the world to deal with, and he became an utter nightmare. And I think that probably goes slightly for Mourinho as well. Relationships, and Tuchel talked about it this week, he talked really honestly about it this week, and he said himself, relationships can break in transfer windows. They're really stressful times for managers to deal with those above them and to manage upwards within the club and Chelsea haven't been through it with Thomas Tuchel yet so Thomas has has promised this week that he's not going to fight that he will give his recommendations and he's not going to fight and he's going to work hard not to ruin the good relationships that are there and I believe him Um, I think he, he seems very relaxed I think 
there's a good timing there in that he's come through a lot of fighting at Paris Saint-Germain and he's just not up for that anymore. But again, before you go in and give someone a massive pay rise and put them on a massive contract, you'd kind of want to know what living with them is going to be like in that transfer window because you're going to have to live a few more with them. So mm-hmm. that's another reason, I think, that, again, there's just a little bit of water to go into the bridge, I think, before before you rush into doing it. That said, all being well and you tie up a few trophies, I would expect the extension to either be done sometime over the summer or, or, or early into next season. Yeah, because he came in on a unique contract already. And I think that he took a bet on himself to be able to do a job. And Chelsea said, look, we'll give you a short term. I'm sure he's getting paid well. and the, But they said, you know, but that's the trade-off. It'll be a short contract and it'll be results driven. So, I mean, I think both parties went into it eyes wide open into this situation. And, uh, you know, like I said, credit to Tuchel for getting him this close to receiving probably a, a massive bumper contract extension if he can get across the line but again four matches two of them are cup finals the other two might as well be at this point I mean, certainly the one certainly the one i mean I lester think, after the fa yeah. cup like you couldn't That's, have planned that any worse <laughs> that 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 is a cup final i i personally think if they beat leicester the last game will become meaningless i i struggle to see I don't even know whether mathematically, I don't, without it in front of me now, I don't know quite how it would work, whether it can mathematically carry into the last week if you beat Leicester. But if you beat Leicester, I, I think it's done and dusted. You're in the, the top four. So you're right. I mean, that, that's definitely three cup four finals. And if it goes to that last game, it will have been four cup finals. Well, that and that Leicester game will be the first time that Chelsea have had fans in the stadium since December, right? Which I think is a huge advantage for them. I think, I think, Massive. The, yeah, I, I think it'll be really interesting the, the last two games of the season because I think every home game that team should have quite a large advantage. So, again, Chelsea have to go to Villa on the last uh. day. You don't really want anything riding on that. Okay, Villa have got nothing to play for, but we just discussed off air that we'll have 10,000 fans back in. Jack Grealish will be trying to go to the Euros, he's been out for three months. So you don't want to have to go to somewhere where their fans have been not been in the stadium for 18 months and have to get a win because that'll be, I think whoever you're playing, that'll be tough. But I do think for Chelsea, for that Leicester home game, which probably I think would would be the clincher, I I do think that's a massive advantage for Chelsea to have those 10,000 fans in Stamford Bridge. Well, I tell you what, having fans at Wembley and at the bridge for these next two matches, this doubleheader against Leicester City is going to be just so, so important. I don't think the players are going to have any trouble getting ready for the FA Cup match, but that that second, essentially, turnaround match against Leicester, we're definitely going to need the fans because there's going to be some uh, rotation. Yeah, I mean, look, I've got to be careful because I've got embargoes on this that I need to be careful not to break, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not breaking any embargoes now. Maybe just don't put this bit on Twitter, but keep it in the podcast, hey? Um, I spoke to Cesar Aspilicueta this morning on a Zoom for an interview. And he's, you know, he's won virtually everything other than, well, he has won everything other than the Champions League at Chelsea. And But he was saying this FA Cup final feels special because it's different. The fans are back. It's the first time they get to give the fans something back after everything that's gone on these last 12, 12 or so months. And I think we saw that when Man City won the League Cup. It, 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 the, the competition itself, the League Cup, the FA Cup, it's obviously not the biggest competition and priorities of Chelsea and Manchester City. 
But to win a cup in front of your fans after 12 or 13 or 14 months of not being able to play in front of your fans brings a whole new dynamic and element to it. And it was clear from talking to Aspie that this is not a normal cup final for the players. It's just not. It's It's got an extra edge and an extra something special and they will have extra motivation. That's not to say they have an advantage from that because Leicester have the same motivation. But it certainly brings... I think it's a really special FA Cup final, actually. A really special FA Cup final. I mean, I can see that, you know, to, to that point, Nick. You know, this will be one of the first times Chelsea are going to play because wasn't it in the FA Cup, it was our semi-final. There were no fans. And then the yeah. next day, there were fans at the Leicester, I think it was United, FA Cup match. So, again, this this will really and truly be... Uh, 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 it might be a bit of a shock to the players. <laughs> I think it'll be emotional. I think it'll be emotional for players and fans as well. It'll probably Tuchel. only come out at the end of the game. And Tuchel, yeah, I mean, he hasn't played. He hasn't been in front of the Chelsea fans yet. I do think it'll be an emotional time for them all. And it's how they, that's another element to the final. It's how they process that, how they handle that mm-hmm. will be massive. Reese James yeah. will hear less of Tuchel yelling at him, Nick. Reese, Reese. Yeah. Uh, so I, I mean, let's just look at the game, right? And then we'll, we'll get to the Champions League final. Cause I think both of these are massive. Uh, you could, you could make the argument that Chelsea and Leicester this week, maybe haven't looked as, as fresh, uh, in their matches. Uh, clearly some, some kind of end of season legginess happening. What, I mean, what, what's your take on the FA cup final? I mean, it's obviously Leicester's first final in, in forever and it's, it's Chelsea's, uh, first final in a year uh fourth and five isn't it fourth and five is that right yeah so i mean what's your what's your take on the matchup and and how this might go i think it's a tough game for chelsea i really do chelsea i know chelsea were in a very different place but um leicester beat chelsea up at at uh at the king power stadium earlier this season right at the end of frank's reign they they really did a number on them i mean Again, I keep saying this, we, we spoke briefly off air and I think there's only two matches where Chelsea have really not lost to themselves almost and really been beaten by the opposition. And that was Leicester away and Manchester City at home, obviously your two cup final opponents. But Leicester are well set up to play Chelsea because a lot of teams that you find at the moment are changing their game to try and counter Chelsea. We, we, we saw it last night again. A lot of teams move to the back three. A lot of the teams will try and go counter-attacking and, and step off Chelsea, almost like Chelsea do to other teams a little bit. But Leicester do that naturally. They don't always play back three, granted, but they that's how they play. They, they play stepping off and they play on the counter-attack anyway, naturally. When you look at them, they are well set up. When you look at their strengths, they're well set up to cause Chelsea problems. So I think it'll be a really tough game. Um, I don't really put anything on the legginess in the last few games or the last few results. Because when you look back traditionally at, at results leading up to cup finals, it's very difficult to place any importance on it. Um, one tiny advantage for Leicester might be that Brendan has obviously set up against Chelsea, albeit against a different manager. He's played against whereas Tuchel actually hasn't. Tuchel's going to have to do all his analysis work off video rather than any feeling of having actually played them. Um, but... I think it's a re- I think it'll be really tight actually. I'd be very surprised if one one team or the other wins by, you know, more than one one or two goals. I I I see it being really tight, really hard to call a clinical chance here or there. 
um, probably on a counter-attack. I mean, it's, it really is set up for that sort of very counter-attack team. It might not be the most attractive game, to be quite honest with you. There might be a lot of standing off and a lot of both teams being nervous to commit players forward because they know what the other team can do on the counter-attack. Chelsea with Timo's pace, Leicester with Vardy's pace, you know, Vardy's been far more clinical, but in some respects, they're quite similar players. Yeah, cup finals are usually cagey, a bit tighter. You know, like you said, it's it's all to play for. You don't want to be the team that, that uh, you know, gets caught in possession or, you know, in transition and things like that. But, um, you know, I, I think overall, we're excited to see Tuchel in a final, you know. Um, it'll be, I think, very different than his league on. Uh, successes in, in the cups finals that he played there. So um, I didn't I didn't really thought about the fact that him and Brennan haven't squared up yet, which is an interesting dynamic, Nick. But again, I think most of us are confident that you know Chelsea are definitely in a better form, even though Leicester are probably gonna um, try to you know jump off of that Manchester United win midweek is a is a big boost of confidence for them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and you know, I, I Chelsea play in cup finals more regularly than Leicester do. I mean, Chelsea were here last year, obviously didn't get the job done for a hundred different reasons, uh, some of which were not in Chelsea's control. <clears throat> Anthony Taylor looking at you. And uh, yeah, I think I think this is going to be an interesting uh, view in on, on the players' mentality too. Um, are, are they ready to step up and, and make another run at this thing and, and is Aspi, you know, ready to, you know, after, after pulling out of last year's champions league final, cause he, he tore his hamstring. Right. I mean, it was, it was brutal to see a guy that tough crying as he's coming off the field because he knows he, he's just done his hamstring in the worst way. If he can come back and, and, and kind of rectify the situation this year. So, um, yeah, really intrigued about that. Matt, let's pivot over to the other final really quick. We don't have to do a full preview, uh, obviously, but uh, we've seen Chelsea play City two times in the last three weeks. It has gone relatively well uh, for the most part. There have been a couple of weird patches in there, but uh, it seemed like you know Chelsea was a difficult matchup for City, um, just given the way that we play and the way that they like to play. What are your thoughts on you know just preliminary chances in the final as it stands today? Look, I, I agree that Chelsea have proved that they're horrible opponents for City, really horrible opponents, probably the worst opponents in Europe <laughs> for City. Um, the, the fact that they have been defending so well and can can hit with pace on the counter-attack kind of really exposes the two the two slight chinks in City's armour in that they, they don't have that striker and that you always feel they will concede a chance, chance or two. So if, if you can take one of those, a team like Chelsea can do a number on them, which they have. Um, again, really, really tough to call. My only slight worry, this is ridiculous, but I'm, I'm thinking with a fan hat on now, if this was Villa, I'd be worried that we'd won two against Man City recently because I'd be thinking just through law of averages, we're not going to win three. Um, but that's just kind of silly, superstitious talk. Um It'll be interesting, though. I did wonder, I don't know what, what you guys thought, I did wonder whether Pep was trying to, with his weird formation last week, whether he was trying to play a few mind games there and not give his hand away to Chelsea. I mean, we all know how City roughly like to play, but it yeah. felt a bit like he didn't want to actually give Tuchel that, that chance on the touchline to stand there and actually 
watch it in front of him that he almost wanted to confuse the thinking and and not let him not let him try it out I'll, I'll give you a, a sort of analogy I remember reading something where a golfer and I can't remember who it was um went up to uh Tiger Woods one day on the on the practice range and uh no it was Tiger Woods to Phil Mickelson I've read this somewhere Tiger Woods went up to Phil Mickelson on the practice range one day and said uh, Phil I'm going to, I'll give you a bet. Let's go in the bunker and let's play 20 bunker shots together. Every bunker shot closest to the pin is $50. So they, they played this game and Phil Mickelson was the best short game player in the world at the time. And he, he, he took something like $1,000 off, uh, off Tiger or something. And at the end of it, Tiger said, thanks very much. That's the best $1,000 I've ever spent. It's the best bunker lesson I'll ever have. Because he'd been in there and he'd watched and he'd learned off him. And I do wonder whether some of Pep's tactics last week were not giving Tuchel that, that sort of hands-on ability to watch what he was going to do for the final. Shouldn't make a lot of difference, but I just thought it was an interesting, an interesting little thing to that because City's tactics were utterly bizarre last week. I couldn't tell you what formation they started in. It, it was weird. Um, and I can't believe they're going to set up anything like that for the final. So... There's no. lots of little mind games going on with that. Um, it'll be really interesting. But I, I, look, I think City will have been devastated to get Chelsea in the final because they are the worst possible team for them. That doesn't mean Chelsea are, are definitely going to win, but it, it, they're going to give them a hard game and it, it, it's going to be really difficult for, for Pep. Oh, yeah. C- City would have had Real Madrid on toast. I mean, it would have yeah. been, <laughs> it would have been a, an utter disaster. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we saw, we, we all know, having watched City, having watched Pep for so long in, in the Premier League, especially, he's going to line up in a 4-3-3 with his best 11 players and try and score 10 goals. Like, that's his approach to these big games. I don't, to me, especially after his failures in the Champions League and playing weird formations last year against Lyon, I cannot imagine he's going to screw up I screw think, with his lineup too much. You I know? think you're right. I think he'll play 4-3-3, and I think we could all probably quite easily name at least nine of the 11 that will start. There's just the little bits in there, though. Is it De Bruyne who ends up playing as the false nine? Is mm-hmm. Mares further forward? And There's just little nuances in there that to, to you or me, I wouldn't really make a great deal of it. But I assume to these top-level coaches who talk about the really fine details that those are the kind of things they just sort of would love to know, would love to look for and, and things like that. But I mean, yeah, I mean, you could name, you could name Chelsea and get 10 out of 11, right. Very easily. And you could <laughs> name city and probably get 10 out of 11, right. Very easily. Then might, and, and that 10 or 11 wouldn't be a huge surprise, whichever way it goes. It's a, it's a couple of players. So there's no big mind games on the team selection. It's just whether anyone can do anything clever tactically, but it's going to all be about the day, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And we've still got, I mean, the, the worry for both teams, and even with City, because I know they've got nothing to play for, but you just don't want to pick up an injury because a big injury sways the whole thing. You know, if Chelsea were to lose a Kante, a Rüdiger, a Timo, it would it would kill them for that final. That, that mm-hmm. Either of those three players would, would kill them for that final. Yeah, I think just the fact there's so much between now and that final. Um, you know, Chelsea could be on an amazing high, could be indifferent somewhere, you know, in the middle. Um, 
Well, I talked about that too, Matt, of like, you know, I, I almost felt like some of the Chelsea players didn't take their foot off the gas pedal. But Thomas talking about, you know, Rudiger being near the red. I bet we had a lot of players in the yellow, you know, not at 100 percent, you know, kind of managing fitness for this FA Cup final. Um, and we'll see it's the same thing with their Champions League. Where are they at, you know, in the league? Because you, you have to you, you have to prioritize certain things. And right now it seems like everything is a priority for Chelsea. So they're going to be going for it all. It's also the most condensed fixture schedule in the history of the league yeah. on top of that, right? I mean, it, this is not – these players should be commended for making it through this season, uh, it, especially to make it to all the way through the competitions. Um, it's – you know, you're playing four, five, six extra games. Um, you know, City made it all the way to the Carabao Cup final. Chelsea didn't even feature in that really. So, you know, it's – these these guys all deserve a lot of credit. I know I know footballers is not the hardest job in the world, and they're not rocket scientists or curing cancer or whatever. But they're doing a lot right now. It's it shouldn't be overlooked. I, I also would say as well. I'll say this now, and I might end up saying this in print nearer the time, and I'll get a rocket from City fans for it. If Chelsea win the FA Cup, finish fourth, and win the Champions League, I think they've had a better season than City. Well, we beat them three out of four times in that scenario. It'd be hard to argue with that. Well, I think a lot of people would argue that they're always winning the league is the ultimate. But personally, I think if you win the Champions League and the FA Cup and still also get that top four, that that equates to a better season than the league and the League Cup. And, you know, if you'd have said a few, two or three months ago that, that Chelsea could be in a position where they could outdo City's season, again, mentally. Yeah. Well, I think they said it was Mason's 50th match of the season against Arsenal so that just tells you how many how many matches these players have done um well Matt the only thing we really wanted to talk about on this one is just Tammy um I mean do you just have a light update on what's going on with his situation because I mean from the outside looking in didn't make the bench again doesn't look good no I mean I can't remember whether I spoke to you before I wrote the article or whether I haven't spoken to you since I wrote the article but I wrote the article that Chelsea will listen to offers for Tammy Mm -hmm. and that the, the price that they would want is around 40 million pounds now West Ham have already tried to say that they haven't got £40 million for one player. And there's going to be a lot of clubs like that. So there's, there's a little way to run in this yet. Um, because to go out on loan, he would probably have to sign at least a one-year extension because Chelsea have a kind of internal rule on not loaning players out within their last two years. So there's a little bit of to and fro to go on. And this is a huge summer for striker movement. So again... Tammy's options are going to very much depend on what the knock-on consequences are. If a Haaland moves, what does that do? If a Kane moves, what does that do? If none of the big ones move, that could be a problem for Tammy because that will stop the knock-on. But yeah, the the club definitely listened to offers for him. Look, I don't think it's breaking any confidences to say that with a very, very heavy heart, Tammy has accepted that he he needs to leave Chelsea at the moment. Um, he can't go on like this. It, it's it's already going to cost him a Euros place and it will be more detrimental for his career if it goes on like this. I still, for all I think Tuchel has been absolutely outstanding, um, I still can't quite get my head around the, the Tammy treatment. Um, but yeah, it, it looks... It, <sighs> At the moment, it kind of looks over for him. But like I say, I couldn't tell you with any certainty that there's a club out there who's going to come along straight away and say, here's 40 million because the market is a difficult transfer market this summer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, also, Nick, um, 
I think if Kane doesn't leave, I'll be absolutely shocked. I just don't think that they're, him and the club are anywhere on the same, you know, trajectory or plane. Um, and that might do some shuffling, you know. But again, Tammy at Spurs, ugh, gives me. Yeah. I can't see. I, I'm, I'm the opposite, actually. I think Kane clearly will want to leave Tottenham, but I don't see him moving. I don't see a market Ooh. out there for Harry Kane at the moment. I think a lot of people are misjudging the fact on this market that it's every bit as difficult for a lot of clubs as the last summer market. I know Chelsea blew the last summer market out the window, but it's a tough market. Chelsea find it hard to sell players. There's not many clubs out there with, with money, even the big clubs. I mean, Liverpool are saying they haven't really got any money. When you look at their finances, I still think people are slightly thinking about this summer market like it's going to be a summer market like before COVID. It, it, it's not. There's not going to be... There's going to be a few big deals, but there's not going to be loads and loads of big deals. And set play, teams selling and even loaning players are going to find it very difficult. And Chelsea have got difficulty with that because they've got players who they want big fees for and who are on very big wages. And you can go through a lot of Chelsea players at the moment who it's very hard to see where they'll end up at the moment because of that. Well, uh, we ran out of time, Matt. I think we have a lot more to cover with this. But honestly, I'm not even thinking about the summer transfer yet. We got four huge matches left. Like you said, make or break this season. So excited. But hey, thanks as always, Matt, for joining us. Your insight is wonderful. And everyone out there is really enjoying it. So thank you. Cheers, guys. All right. Hey, Chelsea fans, that's going to wrap us up. FA Cup final at the weekend. Uh, Get stuck in. If you need a community, join our Patreon. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.